When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do something fun with the family. Come downtown and go to the Auto Show, January 20th through the 22nd at the CHI Health Center. Get inside the newest cars, trucks, and SUVs and see some of the hottest electric cars like the Hyundai Ionic 5. Race a NASCAR remote control car. See beautiful classic cars and visit the Subaru Pet Adoption. Free admission for veterans on Friday. Get out and go to the Auto Show, January 20th through the 22nd. Find more at omahaautoshow.com. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying. Now I want to understand. I have done all that I could. The year was 1972. The song is Doctor My Eyes, which means today on the Song Facts podcast we are talking about the one and only Jackson Brown. Hello and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. My name is Corey O'Flanagan and I am your host. I hope you're having a wonderful day. As always, this podcast is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. And thank you so much for being here. Let's get into it. In early 2020, our guest Justin Cox decided to take a close look at Brown's career and put out 12 episodes of his podcast, After the Deluge, an unofficial Jackson Brown podcast. He learned a lot along the way and even had the distinct pleasure of interviewing the man himself, which he released as a 13th episode recently. Jackson Brown has also recently released his latest album, Downhill from Everywhere, and we'll be following that up with a tour as well, so please kick back and enjoy my conversation with Justin Cox. Going deep into all things Jackson Brown, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. As I have wandered through this world, and as each moment has unfurled... All right, well, we are here with Justin Cox, and Justin is the host of After the Deluge, an unofficial, which I love that you specify, Jackson Brown podcast, um, which looks like came to fruition pre-COVID and then kind of blossomed into a quarantine project. Is that kind of the gist of it? Yeah, I did like four of the interviews for it, like the fall before COVID. And then just kind of like, liked, I had the idea and I liked the interviews and stuff, but it just was like, actually launching it was tough. And I thought, oh, maybe sometime down the line, but yeah, that I didn't think actively of it as a response to COVID, but in reality it was, right? 
it yeah. was, my life was different and it just was. And a funny thing about the, the unofficial Jackson Brown podcast thing is that it started off as after the deluge, a Jackson Brown podcast and like seven or eight episodes in, I got, I'd exchanged a little bit of emails. I sent an email the day I launched it or the day before. So that I did the courtesy of like letting his management know I was making this podcast, but yeah. not, not so soon that it would stop me from doing it, but soon <laughs> enough that it was before it launched kind of thing. And they, I, that got ignored. And then like eight weeks in, I think they started hearing about it and what they came back to at, and then, and then they replied to my email. And then a few weeks after that, they said, Hey, can you change the name to an unofficial Jackson Brown podcast, which I took to be, I actually was happy with. Cause it was like, okay, what they're saying is, cause I mean, I was playing songs on it. I was playing it at the sort of, there's a gray yeah. area with how long you can play songs, but I don't know. It wasn't like sanctioned in any way. And so it was like, I think they like it, but they don't, but they need, but they're getting asked about it. Like they've, they've heard of it. They're hearing about it. Well, that's the, that's where I, that's where my head would have gone is, wow, they've actually, they've heard of this and they're not telling me to shut it down. Mm -hmm. I, they're not mad that I seem to be playing the songs. And so I'll just keep going, which I think is fantastic. So give me a quick breakdown of, or, you know, me, the listeners, everyone, what this podcast is and then essentially how it came to be like why'd you choose jackson brown uh how it came to be this is kind of funny this is this is gonna make me sound like this is like a uh a, like my nightly routine in my life but it's it's not which isn't even a thing i necessarily need to like say as a qualifier but um i i was got high like smoked some weed and was like binging down into the jackson brown wikipedia page because that's like the kind of thing i do when i when when that's the activity i'm doing <laughs> yeah yeah and i remember my i remember i knew he made these five albums in the 70s like that and that are that i think are amazing i think they're about like my favorite five album stretch and like i i've, I've felt that way for a long time but in this kind of moment i remember realizing like wait he made the first three in 72, 73, and 74. These yeah. are like three of my favorite albums ever. And they are three years in a row. This is crazy. And I remember my wife walking into the room and me like saying that in sort of like person way down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Like this is way more interesting <laughs> to me than that. But I, I can say definitively that that little like moment was like what planted the seed. It wasn't like till months later that I like thought about what it would be and everything. And I knew I wanted loose conversations with people that could be either musicians or fans or writers or whatever. Yeah. And I knew I wanted, and then at some point along the line, I had the idea, like, what would the intro be? And I thought um, the intro for each one is like a look through the Rolling Stone re review that came out at the time. Which I thought was great to like, give it that sense of present day, like being there in the moment, kind of what people were thinking at the time versus the ability to the 2020 vision of looking back. Totally. It's like, like, like take like a, like to pull a random band, like Weezer or something like that. You just, anyone who would write anything about them right now would look at like all these things that are so different that they did and, and good, the bad, the weird, the whatever. But in the moment when they just make like, <clears throat> like Pinkerton after their blue album or something, you don't know what's coming next. You have zero idea. It could be their last album. It could be the full direction they're going. And you're, you're kind of in that moment. And I love the idea of a, a critic, what they thought in the moment that this yeah. person was choosing to do. Yeah. Especially in that time when there was so much coming out um, and it was just kind of really the heyday of what we think of oldies and classic rock and all that. Like it was just, it was just this boon of music coming yeah. out, especially where he was. Cause I remember reading some story about 
I think it was the Eagles, two of the e- members of the Eagles and him living in a house together. And like Glenn Frey or one of those guys was like, Jackson Brown, like showed me how you be a professional musician and songwriter. Like he would wake up every morning. He lived in our basement or something like that. And I would just hear him like boil a kettle of tea and just sit at the piano and start hammering some things out, writing stuff down. And then he would just do this over and over again every day, all day. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I got to take it this fucking seriously if I'm going to make it happen. Yeah, it's like, uh, like I think I think Glenn Fry probably naturally had the ability to write a hook and a catchy thing. But to write a song, like, he kind of was like through osmosis, through like the his floor, his ceiling. I can't remember who was on top and who was on bottom of that like apartment complex. But was like, you're right. He was like learning. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so 12 episodes was the idea. That's what you did initially. And then as we kind of discussed here, you got the opportunity to interview Jackson Brown himself. So I have to ask just what what was that day? Like, take me through that moment when you realized that that was going to happen and how that came to fruition. This would just be. I, I recently had something happen with Donna Jean Godchow and had got an opportunity to have her on my show. And it was kind of that same thing where like, I'm wearing a Grateful Dead shirt right now. I'm like, I'm going to fucking get to interview a member of the Grateful <laughs> Dead. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, to be honest with you, like when the time came that it was, there was a period when it became a yes, that was before the period when it became like a, a calendared item with a time and stuff like that. And I didn't tell that many people. I told my friend Ryan Page, who I did like be a Beatles and Rolling Stones podcast with, who was like a helpful person and like a friend I talked to a bunch in like getting going on the Jackson Brown one. And and maybe and, with the fact that today Charlie Watts passed, we should be talking about that podcast, but we'll have you back to talk about that because I've listened to all those episodes. That was a great thing. I was on that actually. That was amazing. Yeah, and that was very cool to just compare those year for year this is just really good angles to come at these things i think but sorry go on yeah no if you ever want to do that i'm sure ryan ryan would love to join too yeah um but so the i kind of was like internally excited but hesitant to to think that it was actually gonna kind of happen you know like i had no i had zero idea how much he or anyone knew or thought about it or whatever. I only knew that I heard from a lot of people and it got listened to more than I expected. And I felt like, all right, that's enough for me to try to pursue this process of getting an interview. But the thing is his album was supposed to come out last year. He was actually weirdly one of the first kind of prominent, I mean, prominent in my world, at least names to get COVID. He got COVID like a week or two before Tom Hanks, even, I think. Okay. And, 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 and I didn't not like horrible symptoms or anything like that, but he had it. And that, and it was around the time I'd launched the podcast, which was interesting, but it either way to, to like continue with COVID, like it, that album got pushed back that album and a tour with James Taylor got pushed back a year. So I think there was a point sometime that last year that I like planted the seed about like, Hey, would he be interested in an interview? And it wasn't like a, maybe it was like a one time ignored and a next time, like, yeah, like, let's see about that. Like he has a pretty casual management team. That's like the same people from like road managers from back in the day. Like it's a, okay. So this is like family at, at this point it, it, to, to a certain, I, I think so. I mean, I, I say that a little bit ignorantly, but it's the sense I have and what I've heard. And so then I think what I did, like once the album got pushed back, I waited until they announced a date and then they announced a date. And then I waited like 
I sent an email asking, I, I, I think almost each time there's probably something to learn in this that was like, I think I got ignored most of the times I asked the first time. And then it was a matter of like, I want to do this interview around the time this album comes out. How long do I wait before I ask again without being annoying, but still being like <laughs> in enough time? And they said, yeah. And they said, and then like a week later, I said, hey, well, can you, do you have a date? And then I could tell I did it on a date when he was like sitting, sitting in his kitchen doing Zoom calls and like multiple interviews. Yep. So I had my hour and I was just really excited and like spent, spent, I, I waited, I got a preview thing of the album and I listened, I waited till like, two days before, before listening to that, but listened like super intently. Then I listened kind of passively while working. Then I, I listened in a lot of different ways. Then I listened while sitting and like taking notes and thinking about what to talk about. And then it came and wow, I was like nervous for about 10 minutes. And then there was like, kind of like, like honestly a moment that it felt like it clicked into something very real and natural and good. And, um, the whole thing felt that way. Was like I can tell special. you from a listener and I listened recently, I listened yesterday to the entire interview and it, it felt that way. It felt very natural. And I don't know if I would have been able to hold it together as much as you did. Like when you, when you think about the, I mean, I was born in 82 and you think about that he was doing this for more than a decade before I was born. And you start thinking about that kind of legacy. How do you even start putting together interview questions for an hour. Like I'm going to need a weekend with you, man. I got to like I know, really I know. dive into this. <laughs> uh, and what I think I realized like, like why it maybe took a second, but, but it, but it found that kind of feeling. Cause yeah, I did feel that way. Was that like, it, I didn't even think too much about this going in, but like kind of baked into what that interview was going to be was he's going to talk to what like Rolling Stone and Mark Marin and, and the guy from the Foo Fighters, Chris Shiflett, like I listen to these, but they're, they're interviewing a different person every week, not even always a musician, whereas this is like a podcast about Jackson Brown. It's like a chance for him to not talk about the same thing every single time or talk about songs from the seventies only when he's got an album coming out in 2021, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think the way that worked out, like I, it, it would be bad, bad for me as an interviewer to let him just talk about like a new 2021 record and like, uh, climate change the whole time, but, but, but letting that be part of it and, and going into that and dovetailing that and stuff you did in the past, I think it like, it, it kind of opened a door and allowed for a natural conversation like that to happen. Did you have a vision of what you thought he might be like going in and then get some different takeaways after the fact? Definitely, definitely did get some different takeaways after the fact, but I, I had generally a sense, I think maybe this is a thing I share with him and probably have already put that on display in this conversation is like a speaking in like long exploratory meandering sentences that <laughs> figure out where they're going when they get there, you know, which is pretty, cause I do edit the podcast. And so it was a little bit like, that's why the first 10 minutes were a little stressful. I was like, he was kind of really going all over and I didn't know where it was going to go. Um, <laughs> But it was, I had, I have a, I was actually told about that a couple of days before by a guy named Paul Ingalls, who does like public radio work, really good interviewer, puts together these sort of like legacy, like full career spanning shows. And um, we connected, he'd heard the podcast and we connected sometime midway through and just kind of talked about it and everything. And um, he interviewed him as well. And he interviewed him for like a long, like full album kind of thing. Um, if you look him up, Paul Ingalls, if you're a Jackson Brown fan, you, you'll love this interview. But uh, he said, like, if you got what you think is an hour's worth of questions, or I didn't have like specific questions just to ask, but like, if you have an hour's worth of stuff to talk about, you 
put put the things you definitely want to talk about pretty early because that hour is going to run away from you. Like it's going to be long tangent type type sentences and conversations. So yeah, um, yeah, I can that see way, that. Yeah, in my experience as someone who's conducting interviews a lot of time, I, I find that to be try and be a little bit front heavy with things because it can it does tend to meander. And then like answers to questions provoke more questions for me a lot of the time. And so I think it just kind of makes sense in that way. What I kind of found with him with that, with your interview with him was his recall was unbelievable. I mean, one of the first things that you guys ended up talking about was somebody's baby. his detail on kind of outlining going back to that recording session how that song came to be I felt like was really fascinating and I'm did you think that you were going to get that much detail out of him for going back in the past I think I like I I listened to a few interviews like whoever has done his media and like the album rollout he's done like some podcasts and stuff which I hadn't heard him be on before yeah and I think that kind of gave me the sense of like man he's just sort of quick and automatic and it's all like very sharp and, and sharp yeah good memory and so so a lot of those like little details and stuff surprised me like to, to just have him say like oh, i didn't want i didn't like that song yeah. i was talking to my i was talking to my therapist how i didn't like the song my therapist told me uh what's more what's more uh relatable than wanting to be loved it's like holy shit that's like, but that's, you don't expect that. That's like the best answer you could possibly get about a pop song, you know? Oh, absolutely. And then just to be like, he had the free reign of just, they were like, I don't care what you say in between. You just got to come back to this. They're good. They got to be somebody's yeah. baby in the end, but I don't care how you get there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just writing to that. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Which, you know, is like not his way. Like I've, I've, that's it's like a pattern that I think I've found that is like, a song like the, Somebody's Baby and a song like Take It Easy. Well, I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. I got seven women on my mind. Four, they're going to own me. Two, they're going to stone me. One said she's a friend of mine. Take it easy. Take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. are probably two of his like most simple, catchy, clear-cut pop songs. Like there's a reason Take It Easy is an Eagle song and that Somebody's Baby is like a soundtrack 80s, like like big pop song. And there, there are songs that like Glenn Fry helped finish Take It Easy and basically said like, we're recording. He liked it more than Jackson Brown. Like Jackson Brown had hesitance around some of these like very, I think maybe the idea was like, is this overly simple or you could like, Sit, maybe in your mind decide that that's dumb or something like that that like it's kind of cool that he had like a an evolution on that in his head what were some of the most interesting facts about him and his songs that you learned not only from him but just kind of throughout the other 12 episodes as well um like about him i think i was fascinated 
it's like extremely fascinating to think about first of all like these days is is these days i seem to think a lot about the things that i forgot to do for you and all the times i had the chance to is one of his biggest songs and like Nico recorded it and stuff and and like Greg Allman recorded it and it's like this like timeless song he wrote it when he was 16 god i didn't like, know that it's completely completely hard like unfathomable so he wrote it when he was 16 and like what i didn't know was like okay you write that when you're 16 but you record that on your second album and that doesn't i always thought like was he making that first album when he was like 18 then but there's all this period of like travel th- across the country and into Europe and recording with the Velvet Underground and Nico and, and uh, um, Warhol and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like a, a kind of a crazy amount of life to pack into like this, this very, like when he's very young, there's like a funny part that I like, part of me wanted to ask more, but part of me just liked it as it was where he's talking about like living in Orange County as a kid as a teenager and going up to LA to like play with this band and see the scene and someone saying and him saying I was coming down off acid but I was down enough to drive but the whole landscape around me was like looking like uh arteries flowing and everything like that (laughs) you're like you're threading a real needle here as far as like if you were far enough down on coming from acid to this But, (laughs) but but like T- to me like that I-, I mean i think in a certain way he's like uh that's like it's like a little bit of like a virtuoso at that point if you're that young but a-, a through line that like i think was a thesis point like like a reason for the podcast for me but was like completely validated over and over again and like or reinforced maybe is that he's sort of like okay brilliant and, and maybe like more poetic and everything than the Eagles or Bruce Springsteen even who like Bruce Springsteen has his like storytelling and everything, but like it's a different thing than what you can, you can, you can, in my opinion, you can safely call some of it cliche, but cliche in a way that's relatable to the masses and a lot it's of direct it's versus be, speaking in metaphors or things like that. Yeah. And, and so there's those guys, right? Like big stadium, like, like Bruce Springsteen and Eagles, one thing to take them. Yep. And then the other two that I would talk about, like you mentioned Bob Dylan or someone like Neil Young, there's a, there's a weird rough edge and weird, like sort of abstract poetry, mystery, yep. even grit or something to them that Jackson Brown doesn't have. Jackson Brown, he's somewhere between those two things. And I think being somewhere between those two things is how you end up with the career he had, which is like, I, I can't decide. Is, is he underrated or is he like, actually completely multi-platinum giant popular and and i don't really know you know stay tuned for more song facts podcast right after this ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy no well let me tell you anyway the lyra microphone by akg brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile usb mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class 
USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road, so being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport-and-use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel, Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So... If you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high-quality sound, check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. It's hard to say someone with his his career and his success is underrated, but he could be. And yeah, I, like, what I really liked how in the first episode you you talked about you separated his songwriting from his voice because he does get put in this box of not having a great voice, which you could argue it either way. You really could. He's not Aretha Franklin, but the guy can sing. Like you can't take that away from him. And um, I, I just find that really interesting to, I, I think if you listen to an interview, like your interview with Jackson Brown or any of his other ones. And what you said is like, he's very sharp. He answers your questions pretty directly. He might meander and like go off on some tangents and stuff like that, but you're going to get the answer versus if you listen to a Dylan interview, you might not understand what the hell he's saying. Like he's going to show up like when he showed up with that giant light bulb and they were asking about the light bulb and he was just like given some fluff answer and it only makes sense to him, but he's speaking as directly as he can, but that's just how he talks. It's just a completely different way. And that's how their songwriting is represented. That's a good point. That's how, that's how words like fall out of Bob Dylan's mouth. And that's why those songs are so insane. Like that's why it's like hard to comprehend how he's even writing them. Yeah. And, and you might not have any idea what he means, but they're making you feel a thing. Going through this, did you, because we're going to start to get into what another thing that kind of came to be. I, I don't think that, as far as I know, you didn't have anything to do with the Reddit thread that began to the bracket. Is that right? Someone else did this? No, it was a guy, it was a dude named Alan who emailed me sometime midway through. It was an interesting kind of, kind of person that I heard from multiple times were people in their like, 20s and 30s that were like no one there's no one for me to talk to about jackson brown and so they're hearing about (laughs) like no what friend like you might have this is this kind of goes to the like springsteen springsteen dylan neil young uh eagles thing i was talking about you're gonna go into some dorm rooms and you're gonna see like the doors and the bob dylan and you're gonna see the stuff on posters and stuff probably even still now or in like hot topic or whatever you ain't seeing a Jackson Brown one in there. It's not no, happening. No. It's like you the people you're going to talk to are like your parents or whatever kid kind of latched onto it for whatever reason. And then grew up with it. And so this guy was, his name was Alan. I can't remember his last name now, but he emailed like just kind of talking about how he liked hearing it. And like, it was just like a 
cool opportunity to spend some time with that music, especially from someone like a similar age. He was a little younger though. And then, um, and then like, I think late, oh, I made the bracket. So I made, what I made was the bracket itself, like the, the thing with the songs and the seating and everything like that. But I didn't, all I did was like tweet it. And so that it did its little thing. It was like poorly designed to actually fill it out or anything. <laughs> it was more of like a thought exercise. So it was like a thing I did in like the middle of it, like the off week when I recorded one with Ryan, like kind of like a middle, middle like series episode. And then the guy, Alan reached out toward the very end of it saying, Hey, can I run that bracket as a, as like a daily poll on the Jackson Brown subreddit. And so then now for the last like month, he's been doing a poll every single day. It's like down to its last two or four to it, two. And it's not at the final, they're four, final four right now. Okay. So did you base this, the 64? So for people listening, just to give you a little bit more detail on this, imagine your March madness bracket, but this is just Jackson Brown songs. Is this based off of these five seventies albums or is this everywhere? Cause I've, everywhere. I've looked at it, but it's hard to look at 64 and, it's- but it's everything. It's ridiculous to look at 64, but it's like, it's, uh, it's ridiculous yeah, it's, to get 64. What the, the <laughs> scrutiny that you must've gone through to I, get that sure. down and then do the seating. I just for don't sure. even know. <laughs> for sure. I did, but I don't know. Honestly, the scrutiny is kind of, the scrutiny is kind of fun. It's like anytime they do March madness and there's like two or three teams, like bubble teams, they leave off and, and everyone gets mad. And it's like, this is just going to happen every single time. Right. There has to be a dividing line on it. So even if you add four more, that just moves the dividing line. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, no, like I, I can't say it's like a deluge of people <laughs> pissed off about it, but, <laughs> but it was, but it was people like I, and then, and then the seating, I think I like, I, I don't know if I did a great job on the seating. I think I did okay, but I don't think I did a great job. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not, it's a thing that you can be um, it's all just relative, right? Like, it's your seating. They could have, this yeah. guy could have emailed you and been like, Hey, I'm going to completely reseed this whole thing. Um, just because I didn't necessarily agree with yours. And are you okay with that? Or do you just want me to go with yours or whatever? It's a, it's a free world. I'll just do whatever I want. <laughs> he couldn't, Alan couldn't have done that because this is a funny thing is that he, he posts the polls on Reddit and like a lot of like, it's, it's awesome to see that people are voting daily in them. But then at the end of each round, he emails me the, the answers and says, can you update it on the thing? So so he's I'm still being contracted out as the like graphic design person. And I made oh, it so poorly that it looks like hell, like the, the like <laughs> names all over. It. It's such a messy looking bracket. <laughs> I've the, seen it. I, I can confirm it's not yeah. it's not pretty, but it works. It's effective. Yeah. I think the final seeds are two one seeds, a three seed and an eight seed. If I remember. Which I thought was absolutely shocking because yeah. I mean. And I love that this is, I'm, what do you think your sample size is on this voting? It seems, I, I do not know, but I know when I click on the things, it seems like it's between like 20 and 50 people for okay. each, each vote. I think like that's that. fine. I mean, that's over the course of whatever, however many matches that's going to be, that's going to be plenty of people, people's opinions. But I, I was surprised because I, I thought that your, especially your top four seeds, which is where I kind of started and ended my analysis of the entire bracket, was um, I was I felt like they were pretty strong, but as soon as it started to go and I started following it, I, I obviously had my disagreements, and I, I I'm just what so did this is what I would have done if I was Alan. I would have said 
Will you give me your prediction for the final four and then tell me who you think the champion is going to be and like write that on a little note, put it in a hat, put it to the side, and then we'll circle back to that. Did you do that? I did not do that in my, (laughs) in my head. It's going to, I can like say who I think is going to win. Like in my mind these days is going to win. Yeah. Like I, which is insane because like we said, you write the, what the first first notable song ever you ever write in your life is the best song you write in your life like it's crazy <laughs> but i think it gets at like that's a pretty simple and direct song and i think i mentioned that like he in like his album rollout like they've they're they've been like pretty good and there's like been a lot more activity and sort of like really like fun engagement on his like social media stuff the way there never was before you know it was like a pretty quiet quiet scene on like jackson brown instagram but he's they've been sharing like instagram stories of people covering his songs yeah and like these days is by far the most popular one that gets covered on there and it's not hard to play and i think i think it's like probably walks the line between like good iconic poignant and very very like kind of easy to just enjoy yeah okay well this is i think that for me personally if I'm putting myself in your shoes, who just kind of dreams up this, this podcast project and puts this out there. And the two things that come from it are this, this huge bracket that I put together. And then actually people that I have no idea, somebody takes that over and makes it into something that's going to be completed by fan votes. Like that's one incredible thing. And then the fact that you actually ended up being able to interview the man himself is just incredible. So Great job on putting the podcast together. I've got to ask your personal final four and why for each song. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I probably won't do these necessarily in the right order that I have them in. I don't think I can pick an order, but um, we did in the middle, in the middle of the season, I did an episode with my friend Ryan that was sort of like, I need to take a break and we'll just have a conversation with each other about some of our favorite, like, I think we gave ourselves prompts, like favorite guitar solos favorite lyrics and stuff like that and uh that was so i could like accumulate more interviews and everything and the song that i come away is my favorite is farther on in my early years i hid my tears and passed my days alone drift on an ocean of loneliness my That I know is my favorite. It's moved around some, but that's like what I would consider to be sort of a maybe like third, fourth most notable song on Late for the Sky for most people. But like like the bracket thing's funny because it went way farther than I thought. It beat songs that I thought that I didn't think it would. Um, so so maybe that's not the case, but that song was in, he did, he did a documentary called Going Home in the early 90s when he put out an album called I'm Alive. And it's like, combination of like a live show i think it's on like i think it was like a disney documentary so this is on this is i think it might be on disney plus or some some streaming app but really good documentary and they they uh kind of like early within the first 15 minutes they're sort of like uh taking you from the present back into the past kind of moment and they hit you with a 
version of, of they play farther on and then you kind of get this montage with a lot of like black and white polaroid pictures moving and scenes from that time and like you know i i, I know i think it had an effect on me like you know the way like a montage thing can it feels a little cheap but it like it, it like helped me find the beauty in this song that it yes yeah. it, it just really did and and I think that can change because it has changed. I've had different favorite songs, some of which I'll talk about right now, but farther on, which is on late for the sky. My okay. um, while I'm there, I'll say the song late for the sky, which is track one. Um, the words had all been spoken and somehow the feeling still wasn't right. And still we continue. Sing our steps from the beginning until they vanished into the that's also in a movie that's in an iconic scene from Taxi Driver, which I was, yeah. like this is kind of weird to say, but like I I fell in love with Late for the Sky long before that. And it's just piano song that's not just him and a piano, it builds up. You get like the David Lindley guitar solo stuff, um, beautiful harmonies, incredible lyrics, um, and uh, but then I hadn't, I saw, like, I hadn't, I'm not like a, I've like caught up with a lot of like classic movies later in my life. And so I was like, well into my twenties when I watched taxi driver Yeah. and you get this, you get this scene that comes up and then like the, like David Lindley slide guitar comes into that. And I'm just like, like absolutely like nailed with, with bricks. Cause it's kind of a heavy moment in the, in the movie and everything. And it's like, I, I've like, like good on good on Scorsese. He knows just, what he's doing, man. He puts that music in there so perfectly. Really knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that song, just, just a amazing song. Um, so those are both from Lay from the Sky. There's a song toward the end of um the album For Every Man, which I remember in my my childhood being my, my childhood, like late teenage years, being my favorite Jackson Brown album, which and at some point that shifted over and it became late for the sky but i think like for every man kind of feels a little more like strummed acoustic guitar heavy yeah. i don't even know if that's necessarily the case but it feels that way to me and uh that's what i was like learning to play at the time and everything but there's a song called ready or not toward the end of that some understanding when we see what the future will bring much more it kind of it's kind of different than your typical jackson brown song it's about it's like a um it's about a, a guy getting his girlfriend pregnant and um he's got these lines like baby's feeling funny in the morning she says she's got an, a lot on her mind nature didn't give her any warning but she's gonna have to leave her wild ways behind or we're gonna have to leave her wild ways behind or something and uh, uh some of them kind of funny and some of them it like feels weirdly light for a Jackson Brown song, but it's about like a, our life is changing and becoming domesticated. And um, it's just like a, a, a brilliant, brilliant song. And, and then, I mean, there's an added thing to it that I think he doesn't, 
he either doesn't play it or very rarely plays it maybe yeah. or maybe didn't play it for a while is the the woman that's about died oh, okay um, so which is so so very sad um and then i'm trying i like had i had like a couple in mind and i'm like for for my fourth one because like what i would say <laughs> what i would say is some somebody's baby like rose in my estimation so much during that podcast because i did one that album was the that episode was one called lawyers in love and then added somebody's baby because it came out right around that time and so it was an opportunity to spend a ton of time talking about and exploring that song but i i don't think i can uh, it like it's take just an, it away. <laughs> it's an amazing song but i like i don't think i can go go fully that far and so i think the fourth one what i'll say is the pretender the song okay. the pretender i go on home and lay my body down and when the morning light comes streaming in i'll get up and do it again amen say it again I wanna know what became of the changes we waited for love to bring. Which of those first five albums, um, Pretender is my least favorite of those five as far as like the full album goes. I think maybe because it feels like it it bounces around. It, it, it I don't feel I love a lot of the songs on it or most of the songs on it, but I don't feel like I settle into like a full album experience with it. Yeah. But the final song is the song "The Pretender," which is kind of like a, a exploration of daily life and monotony. That is a thing that I know I allow myself to be afraid of falling into, or yep. afraid of. It's it's a extremely powerful song, and that's another one that I think I think that's in the final four. I think that's no, maybe it just lost, but so yeah pretender that's my fourth one okay i mean i, I you, you can't argue that i mean you're the expert between the two of us i'll tell you that right now i mean <laughs> my jackson brown it goes back to movies um i i my parents were huge eagles fans fleetwood mac stones that kind of stuff but i don't think that they introduced me to jackson brown i think i heard jackson brown on the forrest gump soundtrack and that was it and then probably I knew that he had written the loadout. I think I attacked you and Alan on Twitter because the loadout came out of the um, bracket way too fucking early, in my opinion. I know. And I was Posh. just I was just absolutely shocked by that. down and get him up them ramps because when it comes to moving me you know you guys are it's possible my seating is to blame <laughs> but maybe not, not. it's true you never know i mean maybe just people aren't as smitten with that as i am but i was just like i've never heard a song written for the crew and i just love that and i was like way to give them some some props and then just to like this vision that he paints of all like the fans are gone. The crew's like unloading the stage, getting ready to go to the next spot. Who knows where that is, but I'm still just sitting here doing my thing at the piano. 
I just love the vision that that put in my head. So if, if it was up to me, that would be the number one, but I wouldn't do it without stay next to it. Yeah. It would 100%. have to see in right into stay. If you, I don't think those songs work individually. I think they just, well, they do, but I think they work way too well together if, to ever do them separately. If I, I think I've had the experience of being in like a grocery store or something where I heard the loadout and it didn't, <laughs> it didn't cut into stay. And I was just like, absolutely not it's like an itch you can't scratch (laughs) yeah like no it's not you can't do this i remember i was i was in denver a few years ago taking piano lessons and i i heard that song for the first time in a long time on the radio and it was like one of these moments where i like pulled over just so i didn't have to focus on driving i could just listen and close my eyes and just listen to the song because i was just like wow i just love this they they actually do like the part where they do the uh like the song itself just stands up, but then the part where they start talking about like the music they're listening to on the bus and it snaps into like a country and Western sound and then a disco sound. It's like that, that's something that I, that came up a ton in, in the uh, podcast and something I was pretty ignorant to going in was like the section, the session musicians who played with him, who like kind of came together and became his band around that time, how good they were, because it's like, it's good in, in a way that a lot, the same way that a lot of people are talking about Charlie Watts today. And, and a lot of like friend Ryan, like kind of educated me on Charlie Watts a little bit. was like the ultimate, like so good, but in a way that's purely aimed at serving the song, not in like a, not in like a 10 minute John Bonham drum solo kind of way. Yep. I, I like that a lot. I mean that, yeah, those little four or eight bars or whatever they are within that song to just immediately be able to cut to R&B, to disco, to whatever. I can't even think of all the other ones that they did, but yeah, and it's seamless and it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really good. What an amazing thing to have been able to go and, and see them in like the late seventies or something like that. Like when he's got this, these five albums behind him and he's finally able to just put together this insane set list. Like I, I can't that, even imagine. That would be the moment to see him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, I that's can... like a magical moment. I pulled up, I pulled up the bracket while we were talking. And so, yeah, the loadout and, you know, Hey, cheers to me. I combined, <laughs> I combined the loadout and stay as one song on this bracket. So had to did that, did had that to, kid. which is just an even more mind boggling to me that it's gone and it was gone. What did it leave in the second round? Yeah. So it beat, it beat everywhere I go, which is like a kind of like white guy reggae song from the nineties. It's funny. That was a <laughs> slam dunk. I, it's a two seed. But then, yeah, so this surprises me. It, the next one it faced was Farther On, the song that I said is my favorite song. But I would 100% predict Loadout and Stay would beat that. In like terms just, of just mass appeal, yeah. Just, I just, like, so that's like kind of where I say, like, it could be that because it's such a niche podcast and it's being done on the, like, that that maybe a lot of people saw that documentary and had that same effect. Or it could be that, that um the album late for the sky, like a lot of songs from late for the sky advanced far on that. So it could be that that like album has grown like sort of in like consensus kind of like it's like snowballed as the favorite album or something. Cause I, I would not guess that I would not expect it. Yeah. Well, I want to just thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about this. I'm, I'm enamored with it. I'm about to take off for a week trip and I am going to be listening to the remaining, what did I, I listen to number one and number 13. So I've kind of, I've bookended your podcast. I'm going to listen to the middle now. And, um, and I encourage anyone listening to go. If you're a Jackson Brown fan, you'll love it. If you're not, 
I think you will be by the end because I think you do an amazing job from what I've heard so far. I appreciate that, Corey. And since this is Song Facts Podcast, I'll say like, if you go, I love a lot of the episodes and this is to you too, who's about to go travel. The episode five is the running on empty one, which is the one when you say like, that would be the time to see him live. He has all those albums behind him. That album's recorded on the road, in hotel rooms, in on buses, at live shows. Some songs split between them. The Running on Empty episode with a woman named Holly Gleason, a really, really incredible music writer, is is like a, a barrage of song facts. It's it's a there's a ton there. Just a, such a unique album, such a unique way to do a live album, and I came away learning a ton. So good starting place. Thank you so much to Justin. What an incredible wealth of information. Guys, if you love Jackson Brown or you're just interested to find out more, go check out his podcast, After the Deluge. And Jackson Brown himself, along with James Taylor, is currently on tour around the United States. So check it out. See if he's coming near you. You will not regret it. As always, guys, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.